So we have increased the sophistication, the offering, the impact, and really the solution itself over the years to go from that, let's sell to smaller startup companies to now let's sell this more enterprise offering to larger organizations. So the move up market from working from startups to Fortune 500 companies has really required us to think critically about the process that we have. How do we act bigger? Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. I'm joined today by Shannon Reedy. She's the CRO of Terakeet. Shannon has been with them for over a decade and now oversees Terakeet's revenue-generating processes, working closely with the sales, marketing, and client success teams. Shannon, great to meet you. Great to meet you. Thanks for having me, Lee. No problem. I want to begin, folks at home, that perhaps this is the first time that they've heard from you or haven't seen you speak previously. Could you give them a bit of a background on what your story is and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, I would love to. I think it's a bit of a unique story, but I started at Terakeet the Monday after I graduated college. I found Terakeet at a job fair my senior year. It was a unique local startup um, in Syracuse, New York. And when I joined, I I believe we had probably six or seven people as a part of the organization. I started in an entry-level kind of content publishing role, and the company experienced a lot of exciting growth just through the years and, and to this day. And the growth afforded me the ability to jump into different roles within our analytics team, starting starting our reporting and, and really driving our clients' insights and performance metrics. And then it afforded me to start our account management function way back in 2014. And really through the years and through the growth of the company, I've taken on new roles, I think every few years, and most recently moving into the chief revenue officer role about two years ago, actually. And I oversee our marketing team in terms of our go-to-market strategy, our sales team, our sales operations team, and our client success team kind of working through the revenue chain, if you will. So all the ways in which prospective clients and, and our even our recruiting brand experiences the brand of Terakeet to when they're engaged in the sales process, all the way to when we're driving results and outcomes for our enterprise level clients. It's been really exciting too, just in the way the organization has grown from those six or seven people. When I started to upwards of almost 400 people today, and through that evolution, a big part of my story, and I think why I continue to be at Terakeet is the challenge and the evolution of who we are as an organization in terms of the, the solution that we're bringing to clients, but also the challenge in really reinventing and evolving our revenue organization from working with startups very early on, all the way now to working with Fortune 500 brands. So 
It's been challenging. It's been exciting. And just those changes throughout the years really requires a different set of skills and tactics and processes and teams themselves. So it's been a a wild journey and a wild ride, but it's been really exciting to be a part of all the growth. Brilliant. And we're definitely going to dig into how that has changed over time because it's a really interesting journey and also fairly unique considering you've gone from pretty much startup all the way up to where you are today, which is was it around 400 employees. And so could you just for just for my context and for everyone listening, you mentioned kind of the different teams that you are responsible for. Could you give a bit more context on the how those teams are made up? So specifically within marketing, within sales, and then within client success? Yes. And I think what also might be helpful is just additional context around Terakeet as a company. We are a connections company. We've built really exciting software that better connects brands to their customers. So we are really a technology-enabled service organization. We really try to understand who our clients want to get in front of and how to really present them at every stage in a consumer's journey. So that's kind of the, the background and what we offer. We are kind of a matrix organization. So in the delivery side of our organization, we have subject matter expertise as it pertains to content strategy and technical SEO strategy and brand strategy and reputation strategy, all of these SMEs that come together to drive results and impact for our clients. On the revenue side of the house, our marketing team is a bit bifurcated between the go-to-market strategy and how we're marketing to potential buyers and potential customers, and also what our employee brand experience is. So we have individuals on our marketing team that flex when it comes to how do we position Terakey to recruit top talent? And then how do we position Terakey to really land and resonate with the CMOs who are oftentimes the, the buyers, right, of our product or of our service? Within our sales team, we are split between a sales operations kind of function, sales analysts that are pulling the data and the materials to support those discussions. And then we also have a team of sales executives, which we call our enterprise partners. Those enterprise partners are gathering and hunting in terms of new acquisition, new client acquisition rather. And they're also enabling our client success team to engage in expansion and upsell opportunities for our existing clients as well. The sales organization specifically has gone through quite an evolution the kind of early years of Terakey and the selling to startup organizations, we were very much a founder-led sales organization. We didn't have any sales executives and we really depended and leveraged the incredible network of our leadership to get into the right organizations and to interface with top executives. And then really, as we look to scale our, our organization, scale our revenue, scale our performance as a company, we knew we needed to start to make that transition from a founder-led sales team to a sales-led sales team. So we are very intentional in how we still keep that executive sponsorship and presence within our sales process, but have a team of those enterprise partners that know a lot about the solution and the outcomes and the value and really understand the mechanics of the sales process to make sure that we are selling to the appropriate buyer's table, that we're laddering into the key people at these at the prospects organizations. So that has been full of change and evolution over the years as our target 
has really changed in terms of who we're selling to. And then lastly, on our client success side, of course, as Terakeet has grown significantly, that team too has experienced quite a bit of evolution and has looked and felt different over the years. Back in 2014, 2015, they were very much the team lead and they were leading a team of SMEs to drive value and impact to our clients. As we progressed into the years and as we sold to bigger organizations with more kind of complex teams, it really required them to focus on the economics and the business impact and the client experience of the companies that we're working with. So they are very much heavy-handed when it comes to how do we ensure that our clients' dollars are being spent in the best way that's going to give them the highest rate of return. And also kind of vetting out where there's opportunities to apply Terakeet's offering to amplify new areas of their business and really how to stay extremely competitive, right? What in the, the various industries and spaces that they compete in. So that's kind of the subset, right? The detail kind of within those teams. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Firstly, thank you so much for the wider context. The bit that I picked out that I really want to dig a bit further into was along the lines of that journey from founder-led sales into being sales-led. What would you say was perhaps the most important part of the founder-led sales process that uh, that you to be able to successfully transition into being sales-led? Because it's a fairly big leap, right? And I'm really interested to know from the learnings that, that Teriki has from going through that journey, what you consider to be the most important part of it. Yeah, I I don't want to say the urgency, but what really pushed us to evolve and make that pivot, and this pivot is still underway and takes time, so it's not a quick move by any means, but really is in our move up market from a customer perspective. The offering that Terakeet sold very early on is what now is kind of commoditized. So we have increased the sophistication, the offering, the impact, and really the solution itself over the years to go from that, let's sell to smaller startup companies to now let's sell this more enterprise offering to larger organizations. So The move up market from working from startups to Fortune 500 companies has really required us to think critically about the process that we have. How do we act bigger, be bigger, and show process and confidence and the ability to de-risk and to really sell outcomes to these large organizations? And to do that takes a team of people It takes an entire buyer's table, right, from who we're selling into. And it can't be done by one person, can't be done by just the founder. And the requirement to 
listen and to understand and to not make assumptions and not to show up to that first or second meeting with the proposal, which is what we did way, way back when, it is really challenging, right? But it's really important that what it allows us to do is to better align and to truly sell outcomes to our buyers and to allow our executives to ladder into the executive counterparts at these organizations in an effort to drive executive sponsorship. So a huge learning moving from a much smaller product to smaller startup companies through the transformation that we've taken has been the key role of that executive sponsor. If we're allowed to, or if we allow ourselves to really leverage our executive to ladder in to the CMO, the chief comms officer at these organizations to truly understand what they're trying to accomplish, the challenges that they have, we can then back into really deploying our sales insights team, our sales ops team, our enterprise partners to build a really bespoke approach to how to best solve their problem in a really meaningful way. And if we get that sponsorship and that buy-in at the very top, the rest of that sales process does become more about, in being sales-led, gaining champions on the buyer side, understanding who the eel and the deal is, right? Who we have to win over and how to, again, really build in that economic impact and transparency around the value that we're driving. So when we get all the way to the end of that process and we bring back our executive in and we bring back our executive sponsorship in, sponsor in, there's a clear understanding of this is the investment that we're making in Terraki. This is the outcomes that we're driving. And we know it's going to be successful because we've had a really thorough process in understanding, right, how to be successful. So the simplicity of the sale very early on <laughs> is no more. And it has evolved into a very intentional process that prioritizes the executive sponsorship and prioritizes really understanding the outcomes and the business impact that we're having because you have to, right, when you work with these large organizations. Love everything you're saying about really building meaningful connections. And it's obviously extremely relevant, not even just selling into enterprise-sized companies, but just given the way that the buyer behavior has now changed, where the buyer is more about actually going out and doing their research beforehand and then finally raising a hand and going, yep, yeah, I'm now interested in seeing it. So I'm really interested to know from your guys' perspective, you talked a lot about the how you've built the processes around that. So I'm really intrigued to know what your process is to get buy-in from the senior decision makers to ultimately be able to multi-thread deals. And if you can, give us a bit of insight into kind of what your secret is to being able to really break into these big accounts. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think what we've gotten really clear about in recent years is who we're selling to and what their motivators are, what their challenges are, and to really engage in early conversations that align best with those motivators, those fears and vulnerabilities, if you will. The solution that we have fits best on a chief marketing officer. And you have to do your homework to really understand the evolution of a chief marketing officer in today's world, right? I was just at a conference a couple of weeks ago and they shined a really bright light on this reality where a chief marketing officer was very much previously focused on 
driving brand awareness and doing these kind of sexy, exciting marketing campaigns and spending quite a bit of money to drive that visibility and awareness for any given company or brand. And given at a macro level, just the trends that we're seeing and how budgets have been really strained, right, in the macro environment that we're living in, the role of chief marketing officer is very much focused now on the dollar in, dollar out economics and return, right, on their investments. So we have such a higher degree of confidence in being successful in a pursuit if we're able to really pinpoint that very early on. There's also quite a bit, as you can imagine, resources that we deploy when we're bringing a prospect through the sales process. There's a lot of subject matter expertise that we're introducing before we make the investment of our time and money. And we ask that of our prospect, we get very clear and very early conversations. What is the problem we're trying to solve? What is going to be the threshold of performance that's going to get them to care, right? About seeing if there's the ability for Terakeet to partner with them. A great way of doing that is understanding the economics of their business and how their current top marketing channels are performing. If we know that what's good to them is a two and a half to three X return, we know when we start to dig into the opportunities within their market that we have to get at least a three and a half X, if not four X return, which we've been able to drive for, for a lot of our customers. So it's doing that kind of quick and dirty math in a sense and asking those really pointed questions as to not waste anyone's time because the worst thing is to waste their time and bring them through this sometimes painful process if there's not a big enough opportunity at the front end. And we have turned prospects and opportunities away to say, you know what? It doesn't make sense. Your money is better spent elsewhere. But by doing that, engaging in that kind of small room discussion with the CMO, leveraging our founders and executives at Terakeet to vet that out and to say, we just need to know if there's gold in those hills, right? Like we just need to know if there's something that gets their attention. And then that often drives their sponsorship, their interest, and really allows them to prioritize our discussions with their team much easier. That's been the biggest learning. Because in the without that, you're spending so much time and money and analysis throughout a process. If you don't have your buyer bought in and you don't have someone that can make that decision, then it's time wasted and your chances of winning are much lower than they are if you really secure that sponsorship strongly at the front end and understand the viable of the viable economics, right, of the deal very early on. I'm really interested to ask you uh, then, in addition to that, because I love everything that you're saying, and I get that sense of it's really coming from, we're really very much to how you kind of position yourself as a business, which is putting your audience and your buyer really at the center of everything that you're doing. And so I'm quite interested to dig a little bit further into, as an organization that specializes in marketing and specializes in brand marketing in particular, how would you say that makes your sales process unique? Because you're looking at it not with a necessarily a sales lens, even though to your point you are sales led, but you're looking at it with all this expertise in marketing and having success in that area. So how are you applying that into your sales process and how does it influence what you're doing there? Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't know if I've ever you 
kind of speaking to it that way, there is a great parallel between the problems that we're often solving for our clients. Just as an example, we often see our clients investing so much into the moments just before a person's ready to purchase. So like the moments before they're ready to opt into a brand. And what they leave on the table is all of the opportunity up funnel, if you will, all of those moments through the discovery process, through the comparison, through it's just the earliest point of recognizing they have a problem that needs solving or that they have a question, right, that needs an answer to. And then from a sales perspective, where we've come from is a seemingly simple offering of building link equity to to sites through backlinking and through some kind of content strategy. I'm talking like 12, 14 years ago. And in those sales, it was, we come to the table with a proposal baked with all these assumptions of what we think is going to work. And in many ways, it, it did work just with the simplicity, right, of what we were bringing to the table. But in the process now and who we're selling to, there is so much through that journey that we have to acknowledge and educate and really walk our prospect through all of those points and not just jump to what we think or what we assume would be best for them right before we expect them to opt in. So the kind of evolution of our process really does follow that buyer's journey from the product that we deliver and getting our brands in front of the audience no matter what stage they are and not discrediting those early, more discovery moments, that is often the most important part of what we do. It is the most important part of what we do is all that work at the very beginning to educate and to oftentimes make the prospect aware that there is a problem that they could solve or there is potential and opportunity that they weren't aware of before. So that is very much the parallel pathing of how do we invest the time and energy into the education and, and really kind of hand-holding in, in the best sense of the word through the process so they are not only aware of the opportunity and the value that's available to them, all the way through to how do our teams best work together? How do we clear any hurdles and become aware of any hurdles in the sales process so we don't jump into delivering and we're stumbling and tripping over ourselves, but really doing the diligence and investing the time to build the relationship with the prospect or for a brand with the consumer so that when they're ready to sign or to opt in, it's a very simple and transparent and easy decision to make. Perfect. Now, if I've done my research correctly, you've been in your role as zero for two years now. And so in those two years, could you speak to perhaps one initiative or tactic that you've deployed or strategy that you're most proud of? And what is it? Yeah, I'm really proud of the scale and the evolution of all three kind of teams that I work with, specifically the sales team in terms of maturing that organization. And it's quite frankly been the hardest part because transitioning from founder-led to sales-led you could argue that, you know, that there is now the transition of product-led, right? But really scaling the talent and having the ability to just get more at-bats because we have more people and more experts has been really rewarding. 
And I think it's been really necessary because we've certainly transitioned our enterprise offering into what we're bringing to market is owned asset optimization. And we have to get out there and have more conversations with these brands to really understand the problems that they have, how to best solve for them, how to apply our talent to various industries. We work with every industry. So I think that piece has been the most challenging, just growing and we're still very much growing that team and really deploying these enterprise partners to get out there in the field, to engage and and again, have more reps with our new go-to-market messaging, our new positioning, how to best resonate with the C-suite, with the CMOs in particular. So I think that's been probably been what stands out the most. And then just the collaboration between the teams. I think before I stepped in, there was no revenue team. It was, you have your marketing team over here, if your sales team over here, and then account management is over delivering our product. And the connectivity, there was a complete void in terms of these teams speaking to one another. And now we have so much connectivity where what's happening from a case study and a performance and a success standpoint with our clients on the client success team is being funneled back through our sales team to kind of speak to and test, and then also kind of funnel back to our marketing team to help inform some of the campaigns that we're running. So it, it seems so simple, but there are so many learnings and collaboration points between these three teams. And there's such a benefit to getting them working closer together to have a reverence for one another's work in terms of what this actually looks like in the wild, in real life, if you will. If you will. So it's kind of a, a collection of things, but I think the scaling of our sales team and the connectivity of these three groups really stands out to be what has been kind of the most rewarding, the most challenging, but the most fun, really. I'm going to pick on the first one of those two to ask a little more about. So yeah, obviously, as you and we're going back to this journey of going into being more sales led, obviously, any enterprise sales process typically is nowhere near as linear as when selling into SMEs, right? And so that then obviously creates the challenge of how do we make this more predictable and how do we start to scale this, which is the inevitable journey that everyone goes on. And so to that point, and you mentioned there some of the um, kind of challenges that you've been going through, what are perhaps three ways that you are creating predictability with now that you've got your sales-led approach? Certainly underway, if not hubbing at this point? Yeah, the process is so important. It's for some people not as exciting, but it is still required in terms to to drive any degree of predictability in the revenue generation aspect of things. We have created a bit of a stage gate process. So you kind of can't move to the next stage until you've collected the information really needed in the previous stage. A requirement to deploy resources onto any deal is the securing of an executive sponsor. And it's a very specific and clear ask of that executive to say, we want you to be the executive sponsor for this deal. You know how to clear any hurdles that we may have. You can prioritize this within your team. You have the budget and you are the decision maker. So to have them say yes to that is a big deal because then we engage in the full-on sales process. And every stage 
of our kind of seven-step process really has a their people, our people, our information, and their information. And it's a bit of a matrix, right, that you can fill out to say, what are the discussions that we need to have? What's the data that, that we need to collect at each stage? And the deeper we get into those stages, the probability of success, of course, increases. It's collecting data at every stage so you can better hand off this prospect to the delivery team when the sales to service stage arrives. But I think it's really important to create that matrix and to have the consistency across your team so everyone knows in that frame what needs to happen, who to pull in for what, the expectation of our subject matter experts and how we leverage them to better inform the discussions that are happening within the sales process. So the requirement of the executive sponsor is is paramount. And then after that, it really becomes this predictable kind of collection of information as we step through. And that helps inform our forecasting because we know for deals at certain stages, we'll have a higher predictability of closing than others. So we are able to collect a lot of data and make it a bit more kind of objective when we do the sales to service handoff because we can hand over so much insight, so much data, so much modeling and really expectations of what those sales discussions are. Because that's the hardest part is conveying what happened in those discussions to the team that is now charged with driving the impact and success. So the frame of their people, our people, their data, your data that you're sharing at, at every stage is really intentional for smoothing that out and for creating that predictability. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. I'm really interested to just pull on that point there around data. And I think you gave a really nice example of how you're using it from sales going through into client success. Could you just give a bit more context on what you see as really the most valuable data that you're using in the sales process? You know, are we talking about kind of email and call data at this point, or are you guys using different types of insights? I'm just interested to know in particular, the kind of data that you're using, because we're both from a marketing background, right? So this plays into our strengths. Yeah, the economics are super important to capture early on. So you want to have a really strong understanding of the value of a visit, the value of a conversion, the threshold of performance. So what they're typically used to seeing in other channels. So you want to know kind of the you want to know the game you're playing, kind of the rules of the game. And that helps you fill in, right? Those pieces if you know how many visitors or how much volume you have to drive to meet those thresholds. So I would say the economics to capture early is really important. And in terms of who their audience is, getting a really, a really strong kind of capture of 
who their best customers are, who maybe who is a market that they want to attract that they haven't been able to crack the code in. So a bit of visibility from a customer standpoint is really important from like a, a persona perspective, I would say. And then lastly, competitive insights. So the best question is, who are your top competitors? From your perspective, who's doing it right and who's doing it horribly wrong? And whether they're right or wrong in it, it just gives you a really strong sense of who they're chasing, who they want to outperform and, and outcompete. And there's no better motivator than crafting right a strategy that allows them to beat out their top competitor and to be the leader in market share for key categories. So the economics, the customer, and the competitive landscape are kind of the trifecta, if you will. And it just gives you so much rich insights to their motivators, kind of a day in the life of what they're continuously trying to solve for and, and challenged by. Yeah, that gives you a really good picture. And the earlier you can capture that, it just so much aligns everything that you present back to them in the rest of the process because you're pulling at and you're aligning to what they care most about. And you just become so much more relevant and impactful throughout the process. Yeah, I really, really like that. Shannon, we are coming up to about time now. So I want to ask you one final question. What is one book that you'd recommend to other revenue leaders? I would actually, it's here, Rework. This was sent to me by our president, Mark Kennedy. And I, I call it, I've heard the term tarmac book because it's one of those books where you can start it right before, you know, if you're traveling and the plane takes off, you can finish it in flight and you're done with it by the time the plane hits the tarmac. But when I picked it up, I couldn't put it down. I read it in one sitting. And as you can see, the pages are like dog-eared like crazy. But it's really good. It gives you perspective. It gives you tools. It just, it hit for me. How many, uh, you held it up for me there. And obviously for everyone listening, Shannon held up the book. How many pages is that? It is. <laughs> yeah, they're all dog-eared, <laughs> so I can't. It's 258 pages, but there's like illustrations. <laughs> Bigger font, so don't give me too much credit, <laughs> but it's pretty easy to rip through, but it's one where you'll read and reread and just kind of come back to. So it's a good book to keep on your desk. Yeah, rework. It's a great one. I'll make sure we put a link to that down into the show notes. Shannon, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and, and pick your brain today. For everyone listening that maybe has some questions, are intrigued to learn a little more about what you're doing over at Terakeet. Where can they find you? LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. I would love to hear from your listeners. But yeah, that's probably the easiest place to connect. Perfect. We'll put a link down to that in the show notes as well. Great. As I say, Shannon, thank you so much again for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And to everyone that's listened this week, thanks so much. We'll catch you next week. Great. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter, and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.